When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 167, and today we are talking about books being released on July 17th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Greetings. Hello. Salutations. More it's- synonyms for hello. <laughs> <laughs> It's your last show. It is. By last show, I mean until one of us goes on vacation. And by one of us, I mean everyone else because I'll still be doing this on my deathbed. (laughs) Yeah. The planet retired you and shot you into space 20 years ago. Don't you remember? And I'd be like, get me my microphone. We will never let you go. (laughs) Never. So um, because it's your last show, I'm going to make you go first. That's fine. <laughs> but before I do that, I want to talk about our YA giveaway that we have going on. Still, it's awesome. We're giving away $500 of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction, selected by Kelly Jensen, our resident YA expert. Uh, you can see the full prize list at bookriot.com slash 500YAgiveaway. You can also enter there. Uh, there's books like Dread Nation, Children of Blood and Bone, Anger is a gift just like a bunch of fantastic titles so do that by july 31st and you could win them which is awesome Mm -hmm. great it is it's such a big stack when we decided i was when i made up this giveaway it was like 500 bucks nice round number ya novels awesome and then i I forgot that like ya paperbacks are like 10 bucks (laughs) so we would have to pick you know a huge amount of of books, so I made Kelly do it because she's our <laughs> she's a former way librarian. She hosts our way podcast and all of that, so she know she knows of what she speaks, and I put it on her. They're great titles, is what I'm saying, and lots of them. Awesome. Well, speaking of titles, why don't you tell us about your first? Okie dokie. My first one is a graphic novel. It's called Run Wild. It's by K. I. Zacopoulos, and the art is by Vincenzo Balzano. And this is like a fantasy. It's, it's so hard. It's like a dreamscape almost. It's a fantasy graphic novel, and it's post-apocalyptic, but very recently. Like, the world has ended super recently, maybe that morning. And, and the way that it manifests is that all of the people on the planet are turning into animals, and only two human beings really remain. Um, their kids, their brother and sisters, Ava and Flynn, um, and they wake up. Uh, the morning that everything has gone wrong and realize that their mother is gone, who was still a human at the time. And so um, a like very large fox, sentient fox, appears at their door and um, says that she's going to lead them to safety to somebody called Papa, who is uh, like when you read the graphic novel, you're like, this guy sounds like the leader of a cult. And he kind of is, but he's the leader of a cult that brought about this change in the world where human beings turn into animals. It gets very metaphysical. It gets very, very trippy. Um, but it's also really sad in this like very quiet, aching kind of way. As they're on their journey, one of the children starts to transform 
Um, and then the other child has to like watch that happen and also realize, like come to terms with the fact that they will be the last human being on earth. Um, there are options given to the children to like, you could take this course and turn everyone back into people. You could take this course um, and see what happens when humanity permanently stays melded with the animal world. Um, it, it feels like a subtle, uh, you know, like environmental statement that the authors are making, but it's, it's, you got to dig for it. Like it, it very much could be, you know, a cautionary tale about how humanity treats the natural world. Um, but I didn't read it that deeply, I guess. Uh, I mean, I caught, you know, the notes of it, but mostly it was just a really sad and quiet dystopia about two kids, um, which, you know, I don't know, like reading it as a parent, I was like, oh no, like what would my two poor goofy Nimrod kids do if they were stuck alone <laughs> on this planet? Nothing. They would try to play with Legos and that would be the end of that. Um, but these kids are really resourceful and they're accompanied by a band of sentient, like there's a, there's a giant, was it a koala bear that defends him at one point? He's like the size of a building. Maybe it was a panda. <laughs> it was some kind of marsupial bear type animal. I don't remember, but it was really cute. Um, and a fox. They're being hunted the whole time by uh, animals who want to stop them from reversing what's going on. Um, so there's a lot going on and it's very dark, um, but I really enjoyed it. So that's Run Wild by K.I. Zacopoulos and Vincenzo Balzano. All right. So, um, I'm going to talk about three books today because of things that happened. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm going to sing you a song. Surprise. Uh, and apologies in advance because I can't sing. Um, not that that stopped people from having very successful careers before, but let me sing you a little song. Here's the story <laughs> of a shady lady. <laughs> A machine for testing blood drops was her jam. She was raking in the gold. Okay, the dollars. But it was all a scam. It's the story of a Stanford dropout who was busy with a startup of her own. They were fudging all the data, yet that remained unknown. Till the one day when the journal broke the story. <laughs> because they knew that she was just a great big liar. And her group was not really getting results. So her pants were most definitely on fire. Okay, that's all I got. Oh um, my god! <laughs> Liberty, you did not warn me that you were going to do that. <laughs> so, uh, the book that I'm going to talk about for a very long time is... Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in Silicon Valley, in a Silicon Valley startup by John Carreyrou. Um, I'm going to tell you so many things about this book, and let me say, it's not even covering, like, the ice, the tip of the iceberg. This book is so banana pants, people were talking about it, like, on our internal Slack, and I was like, okay, I have to read this. And it's insane. Um, they actually pushed the pub date up a few months, because something to do with this company... I took place in the news, but because I am enthusiastic but not very smart, I, they were talking about her company, Theranos, and I thought that was the bad guy in the Avengers that they were talking about because the movie was out at the same time, which is apparently not the same thing. So this is a book about Elizabeth Holmes and her startup company, Theranos. Um, she was this dynamic, or she is, I should say, this dynamic, brilliant woman 
from a very affluent family. She dropped out of Stanford when she was 19 because she had this idea that she was going to revolutionize blood testing. She was going to make a device that required only one drop of blood, and it was going to give results immediately. They were going to be sent from this device to the doctor's office or to wherever it needed to go. Like, it was something that patients were going to be able to do in their homes. Um, she cited her fear of needles, and uh, they uh, wanted people to have access to their own information. Um, and she also told this sob story about her uncle who had died of cancer and how if he had had something like this, um, it could have helped him. So she also had these amazing connections. The board members on her company when she started were like the old guard of Silicon Valley. I mean, just like guys that wouldn't bat an eye at dropping $100 million, like giving it to this woman, uh, you know, because they'd been around forever. They were some of the first people working out in Silicon Valley. She was obsessed with Steve Jobs. She wanted to copy his look. She wore the black turtleneck. Uh, she wanted to do everything that he did. Um, she hired all the companies that he used to like take photos and design things. She wanted her product to look like an Apple product. Um, you know, she tried to do everything that he had done. Um, she, they were eventually housed in the old Facebook building. It was getting so big. Now this is going on like from the mid aughts you know, and up. But, like, people on her board, she had James Mattis, she had uh, George Schultz, Safeway, and Walgreens had given her hundreds of millions of dollars because they wanted to be the first grocery store and the first drugstore to offer these devices in their stores. Like, people could come in and, like, check their blood right there on site. It was going to revolutionize health. Um, and so, in 2013, the company went public. There was an article um, and they are known. They were known as a unicorn, which is a startup that was valued at a billion dollars or more. Uh, to give you an idea of who she was competing with or or against, not uh, competing with, but like other players at the time, Spotify and Uber were also unicorns in 2013. Like they had started out, you know, basically they all raised money privately to avoid public scrutiny. And in 2014, Theranos was estimated worth nine billion dollars. And her own private wealth was 4.5. She was on the cover of Forbes. She was named 100 Most Influential People of the Year. She was made an ambassador by President Obama. Here's the thing. It was all a lie because she didn't have the technology that she was pitching to people. She wished it was true. She wished she could make these devices. But as we all know, wishing things doesn't make them actually happen. Her claims sounded too good to be true because they were. From the start, it was told, she was told that it was impossible. Like, what she wanted was impossible. Like, first of all, to, she was claiming that they could do 70 different blood tests from one drop of blood. It's barely possible to do one blood test from one drop of blood. And she wanted to make this machine that was, like, the size of a credit card. And they started fudging the results. They were um, giving demonstrations and having fake results like, pumped in from their location in California. Like, she would go around the world, and she would give these talks, and someone would take the test, and then she'd have them, you know, email a result that was not correct. Um, and, and then just started outright lying. And, like, she was telling people that they were being used in Iraq. She was telling people that they were FDA-approved. She was telling people that they were the most accurate test on the market, when, in fact, whenever they were doing blood tests, they were actually using other people's stuff. To, to do the testing. Like, they were going to the drugstore and buying these kits to test, you know, people's vitamin D levels and then saying that they did it themselves. And anybody who questioned her was fired immediately. 
like, like they just, no one wanted to stand up to her because they would lose their job. But other people were like, this is really unethical. And they, a lot of the employees were kept separate from each other. So like nobody could discuss like what was going on. Like a lot of the employees who worked there hadn't seen the device. Um, and she, her boyfriend was working for her. And he was very, like, volatile and yelled at people a lot, fired people a lot. There was also, like, people couldn't go to the bathroom without being escorted. Like, there was all the security. People had to sign um, non-disclosure agreements, like, all the time. And the employees were feeling, like, overworked. And they were experiencing depression and anxiety. And one actually died by suicide. And this went on for, like, a decade and then they started using actual patients, like they were like getting ready to to have people do these tests, and the the it wasn't working. And more and more people were starting to say, you know, this isn't working. But it was like she brainwashed people. Like she was she was very smart and very charming. And people would go to somebody and say, listen, this isn't working. You know, like uh, the guy I think at Safeway, um, he lost his job because he questioned what was going on. He couldn't get her to answer any questions. He couldn't get her to show him any of this stuff. And he ended up getting fired because they went back to her and said, you know, this, this is what he says. And she's like, oh, you know, and she could just charm anybody. So she ended up being the first female billionaire tech founder. And she actually snowed the whole world, basically. Um, it's, and like I said, I, that's just barely covering this. There's a crazy story with a CIA agent and a patent. It's like, it's, it's crazy. Now, she declined to be interviewed for this book. So um, her intent, like you get the idea that, you know, she really thinks that she can make something that's going to change the world. But it also turns out that like that sob story she told about her uncle who died of cancer, like she barely knew him. So, you know, where, where are her ethics? Like, where does it lie? You know? So right now in April, all these lawsuit charges were brought against them and they laid off most of their employees. At their height, they were at 800 employees. It now They now staff 25 people. Dang. Um, and it's just, and like I said, that's only like the beginning of the, of the story. So that was a long explanation about it. And I loved it. And you should all read it. It's called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in the Silicon Valley Startup by John Kerry Rue. Song not included. <laughs> so, now... Let me tell you about our first sponsor. I'm all sweaty. Like, I got all worked up. Like, I just couldn't stop talking about this book. I'm reading it. And I kept saying to Pete, like, you got to hear this. you got to hear this. He's like, okay. And then I'd be like, you need to read this. And he's like, why? <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. So support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that you can now download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte. No subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. So you can, for a limited time, you can get $10 off your first one by visiting Google or g.co slash play slash all the books. And you can find a story with audiobooks on Google Play. I have still, like I know we talk about this all the time, I have still never listened to an audiobook. Um, but I have this to check out now, and I really am going to do it. It's just so hard to get me to sit still for anything. I know you can't tell from the way I'm talking so quickly, like, why that would be possible. But um, <laughs> so you can go to g.co slash play slash all the books, and you can get $10 off your first audiobook and check it out. So we thank them for sponsoring. 
My turn. Your turn. Yay. Okay, I'm going to talk about My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moschweg. And this is the author of Eileen and Homesick for Another World, if you have heard of those novel, um, those books. One is a novel, one's a collection of short stories. Um, so this is a kind of metamorphosis internal sort of novel where, like, nothing happens. So if that is your jam, which it is mine, um, then this is definitely for you. So the narrator is a young woman who is blonde and tall and thin and independently wealthy because she inherited a bunch of money from her parents who both died. She lives in an apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, has no bills. She's a recent Columbia graduate. Um, She has a really easy phone-it-in kind of job at a hip art gallery um, and has some kind of like very foggy depression and total disconnection from her life and the things that are going on around her. So she decides that she's going to hibernate for a year. And the way that she's going to do that is with the help of maybe the worst psychiatrist I have ever read in a book in my life. The psychiatrist (laughs) is like a total quack. Um, She finds her like in the yellow pages and her psychiatrist just prescribes her sleeping medication after sleeping medication after sleeping medication um, with no check or really kind of medical oversight at all. So she stockpiles all these meds, the narrator, and she starts this experiment of seeing if she can sleep for an entire year. And then hopefully her goal being when she wakes up in a year, she will be a different person. She can start over in her life. She can do things differently. She can be better. Um, She can be less selfish. She can be more involved. She can care and make friends. Um, So while she's doing that, she's kind of accompanied by her best friend, Riva, who is the opposite of her in every way. Riva tries. Like, Riva is uh, an Oprah book club self-help kind of person. She reads all of those. She reads Cosmopolitan for the articles about how to be a better girlfriend. She's, like, constantly having affairs with her married bosses. Uh, Like, she is trying. She keeps up with all these trends. She's bulimic. She works out to a really unhealthy degree, um, wanting to fit in, wanting to be traditionally successful, complete opposite of the narrator who does not care, obviously, about anything or anyone for any reason. And so all of this is happening. It's in the year 2000, um, right before 9-11. And she goes off on this experiment, right? So she starts taking all of these drugs. And at first it's fine. It takes her a while to like find the mix of meds that actually lets her sleep 24 hours a day. But then she starts blacking out. She starts um, waking up, doing things she doesn't remember doing, and then coming to, you know, the next day and realizing, oh, I've spent several thousand dollars on designer jeans I don't remember ordering. Or, oh, I have gone down to the local um, bodega and bought all of this food I'm never going to eat. And it starts out with small stuff like that, but then it starts to be bigger and bigger things and longer and longer blackouts until eventually she, like, blacks out and starts a whole friendship with an artist at her art gallery who thinks that her experiment is just the most fascinating thing, wants to use her as a muse um, for his next art. And this artist is kind of one of those like provocative for provocation's sake. It's very shallow um, and not terribly interesting. And through her relationship with him, she finally comes out of her year of hibernation and makes a few decisions that I'm not going to explain because they're spoilers. Um, So it's both, you know, uh, an examination of that kind of ennui that comes with privilege and also a look at this particular time in history, like this year 2000 when we're coming out of the 90s where everything was excess and glitter and um, you know, overspending and everything and like gluttony and coming into this era of 
like feeling very terrorized and paranoia um, and xenophobia um, after 9-11. And so through this like single character who is so like, she's so interesting because she's, she's so uninteresting. Like she's a non-person. She has no real defining personality characteristics and she doesn't feel sorry for herself. She realizes that her life is very easy. She just wants to sleep through it because it's not interesting, not even to her. Um, and she doesn't have the mental wherewithal or strength to make it interesting. So she's, even though she's a character I would traditionally be very annoyed with, she's annoying, but she's like, how do you even get there? I don't know. It's, it's a train wreck. Like I could not stop. I could not stop. Um, so that is my year of rest and relaxation by Otessa Moshbeck. All right. My next pick is called Blood and Ivy. All the blood this week, apparently. <laughs> it's, it's Blood and Ivy, the 1849 murder that scandalized Harvard by Paul Collins. I love Paul Collins. I love his books. He wrote one called Sixpence House that was about the town with the most bookstores. He lived there for a while. Uh, my favorite of his is called Bombard's Folly, which is looks at people who failed to change history, like tried to make things that didn't work. Or, you know, maybe someday Elizabeth Holmes will be in the sequel. Um, it's just fantastic. So this is about Dr. George Parkman. It takes place in, like I said, 1849. Um, he was a former Harvard, Medi- Harvard Medical School student. Uh, now he's an older gentleman. Um, he's a humorless landlord. He's making all his money. He inherited money from his dad. And now he's just like this sort of cranky guy who goes around and harasses tenants for money. Um, he disappears. And he, his last known whereabouts is traced back to the Harvard Medical School. Now, like, this is like, you know, the boys club. There's, kids are like 15 going to Harvard at this time. You know, um, there's a million societies and lots of money. There's like, you know, society of societies, which I just made up. Um, but he, so he works, uh, as he used to go to the medical school. Um, they do dissections there. Dissections are now allowed sort of, um, there's a janitor in his family who live on site at the medical school and it's the janitor's job. Like the teachers will go be like, go get me this part of a person. And the janitor goes and gets that part of a person. Like money changes hands. Um, usually they're supposed to come from a graveyard, but there is a controversy regarding a fresh body the year before that turned out to be a murder. Um, it's pretty, I don't think I would want to live there. Like, it's pretty gruesome um, when he has to go drop stuff down in the hole in the floor where they put the parts when they're done with them. It snuffs out the candles because of the, the gases. It's, like, crazy. So George Parkman goes missing, and they're looking for Like, nobody knows where he is. They can't find him. They're searching. There's a reward. Um, it turns out that a few years before, he had uh, charged his former manservant with stealing money out of his closet, which turned out to be true and the guy went to jail so the police are thinking that like this guy has has done something terrible to him then it turns out that that man is still in jail so it couldn't have been him and they're trying not to make a big spectacle about it but they're also having some other problems because Phineas Gage the gentleman who survived getting his head pierced by a railroad spike you might have heard of him he's Mm -hmm. in like all the medical journals he's on site Uh, causing some issues. He's having some problems because they invited him there to study him because he's having some problems. And now they're getting, you know, what they asked for. So everybody's looking around for him. And suddenly the janitor, Littlefield, he tells the police, maybe Parkman never left the medical school. 
So I'm not going to tell you what happened to him. I'm not going to tell you who the suspect is. It's just this really fantastic historical nonfiction. His research is amazing. People wrote down everything that they said in those days. So, like, a lot of the dialogue comes from actual, like, uh, letters and books. Um, it's so interesting. It reads like a, a mystery novel, basically. Uh, it's full of famous figures. Charles Dickens makes an appearance. Longfellow. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Of course, Phineas Gage. Um, if you like Devil in the White City or The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher, this is the book for you, plus all of his other books, because I just, I love him. So again, it's called Blood and Ivy, the 1849 murder that scandalized Harvard, and it's by Paul Collins. Okay, I am going to talk about The Mare Wife by Maria Devana Headley. Um, and this is a modern suburban retelling of Beowulf with a very feminist kind of slant. Um, so it takes place in Harrett Hall, which is a suburb that is fenced, like a fenced, you know, suburb. Um, and everyone is wealthy and kind of the same. It's a very self-contained neighborhood. It seems like it's somewhere in like the Hudson Valley, like that kind of upstate, maybe New York um, sort of area. And you're following Willa, who is the wife of Roger, who is the heir of Harrett Hall, Roger Harrett, his father, you know, like built this town or whatever. And she is his wife. Um, and she is doing the suburban mom thing. Her son, Dylan, she takes him to play dates. They do cocktail, you know, like cocktail hours. She throws dinner parties. She doesn't work. Um, and she, that's just her life. Like she's very bored, um, but also determined to keep Harrett Hall this shining suburban example of, I don't know, shining suburbanness. Um, meanwhile, in a cave <laughs> in the mountains, like just in her backyard, basically at the back of the neighborhood um, is Dana. And Dana is a soldier uh, who was in the Middle East and came back from her tour of duty pregnant. She And she gives birth to a little boy she names Gren, who's obviously Grendel. And Dana has some very severe PTSD and she doesn't necessarily remember how she got pregnant, um, or who the father is. And she is from this area where Harrett Hall is. It used to be a neighborhood of, you know, not super wealthy people until the Harrods came and had it destroyed so they could build their little enclave. Um, and she remembers that in the mountain uh, is an old train station that is buried deep, deep underground now that is forgotten about. The water water has come in and kind of taken it over. And in this water lives some deep, dark nasties. So she finds her way back to that mountain. Um, she, like, escapes. When she comes back, when she's found um, by the army, after she disappears, she's taken prisoner and she's found pregnant. And they keep her and they start interrogating her about how she got pregnant. If it was maybe because she was, like, sympathetic to the enemy or whatever, um, she escapes that and, like, flees to this mountain of her childhood. And that's where she gives birth to her son. She raises him by herself to be scared of people. Um, and she knows that Gren is going to be perceived as a monster. And there's references to how he looks, but it's very, um, I was going to say it's very hairy, which is not monster <laughs> hairy. Uh, hard to explain. Uh, some people see Gren as just a boy. Some people see Gren as a monster after this big, uh, climax of the novel happens where he gets tired of being in the cave with his mother. He goes down into Harriet Hall, befriends Dylan, 
the suburban boy who has everything that Gren was never allowed to have. Um, and then Dana realizes where he's gone and she goes in to, in her mind, rescue him. Um, when she goes in to rescue him in the middle of this dinner party that the Herrits are throwing, um, that it turns into, it quickly devolves into violence and there's a lot of bloodshed if some people die. And then the police, the Beowulf character is a police officer who comes into Herrett Hall and he's going to save, you know, save the suburban life from this woman and her son, her monster son coming down off the mountain. Willa thinks that Gren is an actual monster. Like she sees him as having claws. She finds a claw in her carpet, um, all these sorts of things. And she starts getting emails after the death, after this party and the news comes and all of that of people who are, who are in her neighborhood saying like, yes, those people are monsters, you know, those people. And Dana, the soldier is black. And so her son of course is brown and maybe has a Middle Eastern father. You don't ever really know. And so there's, you know, Maria Davana Headley is, is doing a lot there with how we think of the other and how we make into monsters people who don't look like us. And so she does all of these sorts of things um, with the Beowulf myth. And at the same time, uh, the mothers, like the older mothers, Willa's mother, Roger's mother, these suburban women, um, act as a chorus. And so they tell this story. Um, it's almost like the mothers, that Brit, um, Brit Bennett book, where the mothers come down and, and like speak about what's happening. They are the outside voice. Um, and they are like hard and tough. Um, and there's a lot in this uh, about the suffering of women and the way that women carry men through their lives and, and smooth the way so that men can become great and then fix all of their mistakes so that they can stay great for reasons that we don't ourselves necessarily understand. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a brilliant, like it's just brilliant and so creepy and weird and very violent. I will say I probably should have put a content warning. Um, it's, it's very, very violent. Um, but you know, if you've read Beowulf with a, which a lot of us had to read in middle school, then you will not be surprised about that because the whole part of the whole like plot of that story hinges upon a massacre at a party. So you see where that's going. Um, anyway, so if you want if you're into retellings, you know, or mythology or anything like that, then you want to check this out. That's The Mare Wife by Maria Devana Headley. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, me. It's me again. Time to talk about our second sponsor. <laughs> um, our second sponsor is FSG, who are the publishers of Rachel Cusk's Kudos, which is the final installment in her Outline trilogy. Um, the, the trilogy began with Outline. Um, so Kudos takes as its theme, the relationship between pain and honor and investigates the moral nature of success as a precept of both living and art. So a writer visits Europe, a Europe in flux, where questions about personal and political identity are rising to the surface. And all of these changes that are happening in Europe open up all these possibilities of loss and renewal. The artist herself begins to identify among the people she meets this real tension between truth and representation um, and that fissure that accrues with really big, great dramatic force as Kudo reaches its profound climax. So if you have been reading the trilogy, it's outline is the first one. The second one is transit. And then kudos is the final one. Um, Sebastian Smee in the Washington post said that with the release of kudos, these three novels can now be appreciated and will be looked back on as one of the literary masterpieces of our time. Um, it was an Amazon editor's pick, uh, book of the month, best fiction for 2018 pick from the guardian. Uh, one of the 30 best books to read this summer from L it had great reviews in Buzzfeed and Chicago reader and the LA review of books. Um, so go check out that trilogy. It's the Outline Trilogy. And the new book, the final book, is Kudos by Rachel Cusk. All right. My last pick is A Sloth's Guide to Mindfulness by Tan Mack. 
it's a small illustrated book about slowing down and taking time out. And she has these really cute illustrations of sloths, which, you know, if you don't know what a sloth is, is a very slow-moving animal. <laughs> and she's talking about how it's okay if you feel anxious or if you are depressed. You know, if you need some time out away from the world or from what you're doing. Like, you do you. And also, here are some things that might help. Like, you know, taking a walk or talking to a friend or not talking to a friend. And I just, I really adored this. Um, there's, you know, the illustrations, like I said, they're super cute. There's one I really like of the sloth. The sloth is holding an acorn and it's handing it to a rabbit. And it says, I saw this and I thought of your face. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny. Um, there would be a really cute gift book for someone. Or a really great introductory book for young people on meditating and being mindful. Um, I cannot sit and meditate. <laughs> you heard me talk earlier. I am too in my head and it's too loud, but I felt really relaxed after I read this. I liked these tiny little hints, you know, these cute little self-care tips, and I really adored it. So again, it is called A Sloth's Guide to Mindfulness, and it's by Ton Mack. Sloths. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. All right, bring it home. All Your right, last, one. last book. This is last it book. Forever. What We Were Promised by Lucy Tan. This is a debut novel about the American dream and its intersection with life in big, the big city of Shanghai. So the main characters are the um, the Zen family, and they have they're from China, and they moved to the U.S. for um, the husband Wei's job. Um, and Lena is his wife. They met in a small village. They were married and then moved to the U.S. where they had a daughter named Karen um, and, you know, lived in the U.S. for a while. And then Wei kind of climbed the corporate ladder until he got a large enough marketing position that his company sent him back to Shanghai. It was a very, it's a very well-paying job. Um, they are super wealthy now. Um, and so they moved, in, they moved into this neighborhood that I have just, I've never read anything like this. Um, they move into a tower called Lanson Suites, which are it reads to me like a, a residential hotel functionally, but like a luxury residential hotel. Um, so they have what is basically an apartment, but um, there's like the maid service comes through every day of the like the hotel. I'm using I'm making air quotes here because it's not a hotel; it's like apartments, but it has a maid service and you know a gym, and um, it's in this very bustling, popular part of. Shanghai. And Lena becomes what is called a tai tai. She's a housewife, which is like a term for a housewife who doesn't do any housework. She doesn't do anything. She just lives this life of leisure now that her husband is gone all the time at his job. Karen, their daughter, is away at boarding school for most of the year. Um, and so Lena just kind of spends money all day. Like, that's her job now. Um, and then one day, one one day, her I, an ivory bracelet, which is a childhood keepsake that Wei's brother gave her when they were children, goes missing. And so it starts off this, like, really big wave of kind of unease and unsettled feeling in the household. Karen comes back for the summer, which actually gives Lena something to do. Um, but then Wei's brother, Quang, comes home. And the, the thing about that is he's been gone for 20 years. And he just calls Wei out of the blue and, you know, says, hey, I'm coming to town um, and I would love to see you. Can I come visit? Awesome. And then you you find out that Lena and the brother had a relationship when they were younger, except Lena and we had an arranged marriage. So that relationship never should have happened. And when they get married and move to the U.S., he goes off and, like, joins 
a gang and becomes this kind of shady criminal character. And so it's a really intense family drama, both about what's happening today in Shanghai with this family and how they got to where they are. Um, so you go from like this small rural silk producing village up to corporate, you know, the corporate suburban American ladder, and then now into this like nouveau riche modern Shanghai life that's really looking at like the post-Mao China and the post-Mao life of people who um, get really wrapped up in the American dream and what the American dream has to do with modern Chinese life. Um, so there's a lot going on. Lots of There's a mystery that's mostly centered around this like childhood bracelet that Lena has that she accuses a couple of maids of stealing. Um, and it seems very like, why do you care so much? Like you could buy a million bracelets if you wanted to. Why do you care so much about this one bracelet that's gone missing? Um, but it really leads back. It's this one object that leads you back through um, her family drama, starting with how she was in love with her brother's husband or her husband's brother, not her brother's husband, her husband's <laughs> brother. I had that backwards. Um, so it's a great debut that takes you all across, all around the world and up and down through different uh, economic um, strata uh, and I just, you know, I almost, it's almost like a, I had such a voyeuristic feeling when I was reading about this family living this life of like such immense wealth in Shanghai in, in a way that I like could not even start to imagine. So that's What We Were Promised by Lucy Tan. All right. Woohoo. What are you going to read next? Um, Headscarves and Hymens, <laughs> which I love this title. Uh, I'm going to start at Headscarves and Hymens. The subtitle is Why the Middle East Needs a Sexual Revolution. It's by Mona uh, El. I realize I've never said that out loud before. Um, but it's our next pick for Book Rights Feminist Book Club that we run on Instagram, Persist. So I'm going to start that, and we're going to talk about it. I haven't started it yet. I have no idea what I'm getting into, and if it's terrible or not, I have no idea. We'll see. What about you? I'm going to read Brother by David Cherry Andy. Um, I don't actually know much about it, except that it has a blurb from Marlon James on the cover. And the publisher sent it to me with a note that says, It's a spare, emotionally devastating knife of a book. And I love an emotionally devastating book, so <laughs> that's going to be mine. And Hold so on. that's it for today. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being my co-host. Of course. Thanks. It's been fun. I'm sure we'll get to do it again sometime. Mm -hmm. Thank you to our sponsors, Google Play. You can get audiobooks on Google Play at g.co slash play slash all the books. And thank you to FSG and Kudos by Rachel Cusk, out now wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. If you want to let us know something, you don't have to let me know I can't sing. I already know that. If you want to tell us something else, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. I am Miss Liberty on Twitter. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter. Uh, if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash allthebooks, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.